Listeners, and welcome aboard Costume Station Zero. This is Bob Mitch, and today I'm with a good friend of mine, Mr. Matt Munson. Hello, Matt. Hey, Bob. How are you, sir? Um, so, uh, for those who don't know, uh, Matt is uh, kind of a jack-of-all-trades here. He does a lot of great, awesome costumes, including uh, Jack- Captain Jack Harkness, the Ninth Doctor, uh, the Dark Knight, Batman himself, um, uh, a classic series Spock, and Daredevil, the Man Without Fear. So, I kind of want to just hit the gamut with you. Um, I like to go at the beginning. What got you into costuming? What attracted you to the hobby? That's a great question, Bob. <laughs> um, as, as far as I can remember, one of my, my earliest memories um, of costuming um, was when I was uh, very young. I would say I was probably six or seven. Um, and at the time, I was on the swim team in Illinois, which is where I lived at the time. And uh, on the swim team, you have a red swim cap. makes you go fast in the water, apparently. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at the time, I was also a, a, a uh, budding comic book fan. And, of course, Spider-Man was one of my favorites. And what I discovered <laughs> is if I put the swim cap over my face instead of my head, um, it sort of looked like a Spider-Man mask. Ah. So I got, a, I got a Sharpie or a you know, felt-tip marker, I think they called them back then, um, and sort of drew spider lines on it and little eye area things mm-hmm. and then i was spider-man and it was really fun being spider-man you know i'd run around the jungle gym and run around the yard shooting people with my web shooters and i think i think what happened was um even to this day i sort of associate having great amounts of fun with costuming and so ever since then like you know it just sort of um tumbled uphill from there um both in uh dedication to the craft uh, accuracy and money spend <laughs> on costumes. and uh and you know my my uh, interests have uh, changed and grown over the years um but i think that's where it all started it was spider-man uh costume if you could call it that uh, at a very young age it all started with a speedo is that what you're saying yeah pretty much yeah <laughs> or sorry, i'm sorry swim cap um so did, how did you complete that costume then i mean how did you do the rest of the the suit you know that's that's sort of what's um What's a, in my mind, a charming part of that story is there was no rest of the suit. Um, It was, it it was just the face mask and, and, um, and that was all I needed. Mm -hmm. Um, I was Spider-Man in my mind. And, um, and I think that that sort of a, is, is like a charmingly innocent, um, reminder of, of what makes costuming interesting. And I, of course, find I have to pull myself back a lot because I think sometimes I, I dive too deeply into accuracy or, or pursuit of perfection mm-hmm. that I sometimes forget that what, what, really makes, what really makes the hobby fun 
isn't necessarily going crazy over details. Although I enjoy that too. Yes, I, I understand how that how that goes. There comes a point you have to kind of pull yourself back on the ledge. Um, you, you never thought of adding underoos to it because that was my secret weapon as a kid with superhero costumes. <laughs> no, but I remember when those came out, and I was like, "That's a great idea. I should get some of those." Um, but I, but like so many other projects, I never did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whoever came up with those is a, is a genius. I want to shake yeah. their hand. Yeah. Um, so what? So do you consider that your your first costume, or or uh, what is your first significant costume? You know that that's another easy one to answer too. Um, in uh, when the 1989 Batman movie came out, um, the Michael Keaton one, um, I really wanted that bat suit. You know, mm-hmm. when I first saw the pictures, I was like, "That is so dumb because that doesn't look like Batman." Yeah, yeah, I had the same reaction. Because at, at the time I was working at a comic book store, and mm-hmm. I was a big fan of, of the various uh, books about Batman, and this was very much a departure from the uh, the comic book character, mm-hmm. um, just as the Christopher Nolan version is. Mm-hmm. Um, but the suit very quickly grew on me, and I thought it was really, I turned out thinking it was really cool, and I really, really wanted one. And at the time, uh, a company named Ruby's yes. um, was offering a, a replica of this costume, and the pictures of it looked great in the back of Starlog magazine. Ah, Starlog. And I know this may shock some of your listeners, uh, Bob, but this was before the internet and before email. Mm-hmm. Um, if you wanted to like see pictures, you needed to go buy a magazine. Mm-hmm. I, re- I remember it well. Mm-hmm. I suppose that applies to a lot of things. <laughs> but um, So I had this star log, and there was this ad in the back for this $300 costume. Mm. I think I was 17 at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think even today, $300 is a good chunk of change. Oh, yeah. Um, so, you know, I saved up and sent away for this costume and it showed up and it was just an absolute piece of junk. Oh. It, it was sort of that, that Christmas morning that goes horribly wrong <laughs> when you open that box. Like, you know, the picture had like sort of a, a, a well-sculpted, defined chest and ab piece. And when it showed up, it just looked like a flat piece of latex. And, and the cape was just the worst. It was just awful. It was just an absolute disaster. Mm-hmm. And, um... And something clicked in my head, and I said, you know what, I think I can, I can do better than this. I think I can either make this better, or I can find better parts. You know, like, the, it didn't come with boots. It came with these misshapen latex spats that wow. went for your shoes. Right, right. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, I could, probably, I could probably find someone who makes boots and then just customize them or something. So, you know, all on my own without the internet, I was kind of already thinking towards uh, methodologies for improvement. Like, I, 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 someone told me that the gloves for that costume were an off-the-shelf item that were modified. Mm-hmm. So I tracked down the gloves, and then I found a tailor to modify the gloves, and I was like, yeah, I'm on the right track. So I would say, um, I would say my first, like, legit showstopper costume was was that costume and it wasn't finished until batman returns came out right uh working under you know much tighter budget um no email you know i found a guy in the back of starlog magazine and we would write each other letters about a custom batman cowl (laughs) ridiculous and he would mail me photos Mm. (laughs) <laughs> so it was a much slower process and eventually I really got the costume I wanted um, I, I found some um, effects guys who work in Hollywood and they did a life cast of me and one of them sculpted a cowl for me wow um, so it, and, and keep in mind this was 20 odd years ago so you know mm-hmm. this was sort of 
I, I feel that, that for me, this is very trailblazing. People just weren't sort of committing to something at this level. And, um, you know, now you can go on eBay and for, you know, a few hundred bucks, maybe 500, you can get a really fantastically accurate, maybe even cast from original pieces, um, Batman costume. Mm-hmm. Um, so accessibility has really gone up, um, availability has changed, quality has dramatically improved. So it's a very different state of the hobby. Um, so 20 years ago, to say I have a really great, um, you know, a urethane slash latex Batman costume was a big freaking deal. And I was very, very proud of that and very excited by it. And I, I think that sort of, having completed that, and I actually, I did an appearance at a, a midnight showing of Batman Returns in costume. Mm-hmm. Uh, and people just lost their minds, you know, because at that time, you just didn't see, like, movie quality costumes out on the street. It just wasn't a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but now, you know, you can sort of go to a, a shopping mall opening and there will be three guys in Iron Man suits that look amazing. So it's sort of, it's still, there's still an amazing bit of shock value to it. But I think it's, it's a little more accepted. Like people are aware that, that there are people dedicated to this hobby and doing great work out there. Uh, yeah, that, I mean, there's, there's a two pronged point in there. And that is, uh, well, one, you're, you're quite right. I mean, I, I know back in the day, I think I might've seen the costume you're talking about. I went to a rental agency. I remember at the time, cause I wanted to, couldn't decide if I wanted to be Batman or Joker and I saw it on the rack and I remember being disappointed by the Batman. The Joker looked good though. And, but it's yeah. still just to even rent it was something like $200 and, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I was a kid. So I was like, yeah. uh, I'll come back to you. And, um, but no, you're right. You didn't see that kind of thing a lot. And uh, it was very uncommon. When you did see it, your mind was blown. I remember seeing a Spider-Man that blew my mind that looked just like the comic book around 89 or 90 at a convention. And even though I knew it was a guy in costume, there was part of my brain that still thought, that's Spider-Man that I'm looking at. Right, right. You know? uh, But you're right. The internet has really changed the game. It's really kind of... um, it's sort of been a bit of a double-edged sword, but for the most part, it's really uh, raised the quality, I think, out there. And and you're right. It's interesting how, especially in the last, I would say, 10 years, maybe 12, that this hobby seems to be much more accepted. Um, you know, you don't, like, I have to wonder, as much as people were impressed with your costume, you know, 20-some years ago, there had to have been a lot of people who also looked at you like you were kind of weird doing this, you know? You know, I, think, <laughs> I, I will say no, because the, it was... The, the, the hobby was a little more closeted mm-hmm. back then, but there were always times when it wasn't. Like, I was I was going to San Diego Comic-Con in 1986. Wow. What was and that so like? So, you could get comics. <laughs> <laughs> like, if you had a list of back issues you needed, you could find them. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but, you know, like, like on Halloween, um, I would go up to West Hollywood and do their big Halloween bash there. And that's sort of like a, a giant collection of really amazingly talented costumers. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has been for literally for 20 odd years that, that I've been going on and on. Um, things like, you know, Comic-Con and, and uh, like movie openings. Um, so there weren't as many sort of like opportunities to show your nerdness. Um, mm, yeah. So you wouldn't end up being scorned. Like I, I never felt like a, mocked or ridiculed for my uh, my dedication to a, a not-so-mainstream hobby. Mm-hmm. 
Hmm. Okay. So no, I would say that wasn't really an issue. If anything, I was the one laughing at all the guys wearing the football jerseys uh, to work and stuff. So. Oh, right, right. Yeah. No, it, I, it's you know how it is. It's like you're you're when you're kind of a nerd in this fandom. Uh, we've all had the the period in school where you know you're certainly looked down upon for liking that stuff. Yeah. Um, and I imagine it's not so bad now for kids today because it's sort of the age of the geek and you know the the movies and such have really helped. Um, yeah, mainstreamize this stuff, and that's great. Uh, but it's weird how um, there's a little part of me that misses how it used to be, because it sort of became it, it felt more personal back then. Definitely, um, yeah, less overmarketed. Well, I think it was. I think like anything, once it gains a degree of popularity, you know, it's it's no longer your. It's no longer that private treasure that you discovered and nurtured. Mm-hmm. Um, now yep. it's something you can buy at Target. Yep. Yep. And I think that sort of that, that has a very uh, a natural emotional hit to it, but it really shouldn't. I, I think what, what we as as hobbyists who are passionate about our beliefs should be doing is uh, celebrating the influx of new talent, um, attention, and and you know media exposure. Um, sometimes that's hard to do because what you really want to do is just sit around with friends and talk about how awesome and unique you are. Um, but you know, with, without without things like the internet and and popularity and and people's sort of drive to commoditize um, that which we are passionate about, right. I think we miss out on a lot of really new and interesting, cool things. Very true. So you got to take the good with the bad. I guess. Yeah, no, it's it's very true. And uh, but on the other hand, you know, when it does become more, um, as you say, commercialized, then you actually will get. Uh, items that you would never in your wildest dreams have ever seen when you Absolutely. were when you were younger. I know that uh, the Underground Toys line of Doctor Who toys of classic Doctors is a good case in point for me. I know for Scott, it's uh, the new Batman licenses out there, and they're about to put out those great action figures for the '66 Batman stuff that. Yeah. You never would have seen back then, sadly. And, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and in, in, in many ways, it's like, awesome. Sorry. Uh, so I, I'm, of course, a huge Doctor Who fan, mm-hmm. um, which is what I think brought me to your doorstep. Mm-hmm. And uh, on that same on that same note, things like the, um, the commercially available Sonic Screwdriver replicas, um, you know, there's there's not only a very affordable toy line, yes. which is for costuming purposes is absolutely perfect because they're they're accurate enough, they look great. But they're also robust and resilient. So if you drop them in a in a bowl of punch, it'll be fine. <laughs> exactly. Um, and then on the other side, there's people making three, four hundred, or even you know four thousand dollar replicas. Ah, yes. Um, that are indistinguishable from from the props you see on TV. Mm-hmm. And I think without this popularization, um, you just wouldn't see that. There would be no market for it. Mm-hmm. So so you know, good with the bad. Uh, very much, very much. I know that uh, there. I think there was a metal static replica of the classic Sonic back when I was a kid. It was it was still expensive, but it was all you had. And I know there was yeah. also kind of a, a very enlarged version with uh, sound that was sold at the old '80s cons. But I mean, it was never. You knew it wasn't really quite the Sonic, and yeah. it wasn't until today or in the last couple of years that character options put out. I mean, along with your Tennant and Smith Sonic, you get a Tom Baker or a Pertwee Sonic. Yeah. And it's painted right to scale, does the sound. It's amazing, and it's like 25 bucks. Yeah, that's, exactly. That's a godsend. You have no idea. Um, oh, but, I know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I know. Oh, I do, as a matter of fact. <laughs> um, so um, sticking, sticking with who, tell me about um, your Jack and your Ninth Doctor. How did you go about putting those together? Okay, sure. So, so Jack is actually... Um, 
one of my favorite characters from the show. From the show. Yeah, like uh, I couldn't tell. He, he is a, a very charming man, and I, of course, uh, respect uh, and enjoy that. And, <laughs> and I try to uh, try to emulate that in my portrayal of him. And I think, um, actually, to, to kind of divert for a second to lead me back to my point, um, one of the things that, that I personally strive for in my costuming, which I don't necessarily recommend for everyone, is um, casting. Um, I try to choose costumes or characters that match my personality and my physical appearance. Sure. Yeah. Um, I am very fortunate because I'm, I'm basically a six foot two white guy, um, dark hair, blue eyes. So I'm, I'm almost a superhero archetype, um, you know, Superman, Batman, uh, a, a couple of the doctors, Jack Harkness, like I sort of fit that type. Um, and I'm very, I'm very grateful for that. Um, so what I, what I try to do in my costuming is sort of look at a character or even, even Mr. Spock from uh, original series, Star Trek, uh, granted I'm not Leonard Nimoy, um, but he and I are both tall white dudes, you know, with sort of the same coloring, sort of the same structure. Mm-hmm. Um, so with Captain Jack, um, not only is he a, a phenomenal character to portray, because he's basically the most charming guy at the convention, um, but I also sort of resemble John Berriman. We're, we're roughly the same age. Uh, you know, I, I would like to claim roughly the same build. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, like I, th- I think that's, that's like what I sort of strive for. And, and Jack was sort of a, a, a perfect match for me because like i said just really fun to play i really enjoy the character i really enjoy his role in the doctor who universe um so he was a great choice um so putting that costume together once i was sort of on the jack path um the thing the thing that i find to be the most iconic part of that costume is the jacket of course i think if you if you do the jacket wrong um the whole costume falls apart now, um, b- between Doctor Who and uh, Torchwood and the many seasons of Torchwood, didn't the jacket change? It did. Actually, um, the, the coat they used in the, um, in the pilot for Torchwood, if I remember my facts correctly, was an RAF great coat. It's actually called a great coat. I'm not saying it's a great coat. <laughs> like, hey, man, that, that coat you've got, that's great. No, I'm not saying it. it's actually called a great coat, but it was made of wool. Right. And apparently John Barrowman is violently allergic to wool. So after the pilot was shot and sold, um, they had to custom tailor a few of them for him out of a synthetic material, um, which is great because uh, RF great coats are, are not entirely hard to come by, but they can be expensive and they require some customization. Like they need some, uh, usually the, the, the braid stripes are, are, you can get them, but you know you just need to find them and sew them in. Um, he, he had different buttons on his jacket than on, on the uh, off-the-shelf ones that you can find. So the great news is that a, a, a great little outfit in Canada called Abbey Shot. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I've actually purchased many things from great customer service, great products, lovely company, kind of a little engine that could company. Um, they started out making uh, Matrix cost Matrix jackets. Mm-hmm back when that movie came out. And, um, and I, I've got to believe they sold a ton of them and realized that there was a market for replica garments, especially mm-hmm. of jacket variety. Mm-hmm. 
they started this company called Abishot. And Abishot now actually holds a BBC license to produce Doctor Who clothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess, the, 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 to be completely frank with Abishot, um, they produce very, in my opinion, very high-quality garments. Um, their sizing's great. Uh, their customer service is amazing. Their turnaround time is very short. But... Yes, but... Um, to my eye, they miss some of the details. But let's face it, that's probably also uh, cost involved to hit oh, the absolutely, price point. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. There's a, a million and one reasons why something might not be exactly the way it appears on TV. Uh-huh. Uh, I, have, I have worked with overseas manufacturers on projects of mine. I've, I've witnessed um, license holders attempt to execute products. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm well aware of the pitfalls and the, and the one million and one unexpected ways that a product can divert from your original vision. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm not I'm not faulting them or, or saying it sucks. It's, it's a, the the Captain Jack Harkness jacket I bought from them. I'm 100% satisfied with it. Mm-hmm. But when I look at it compared to screen grabs, there are minor inconsistencies. Sure. Um, and like for example, the the two common complaints about the Harkness jacket are, are the epaulets are too short, uh, and the buttons are in the wrong place. Mm. Um, I got my jacket. Oh, and they used the wrong braid because um, probably what happened is the the braid, uh, the correct braid is something you can buy. I mean, it's still available, um, but they probably found a braid that they bought 300 yards of for $4 and it was slightly different. Sure. And for, for 99% of their customers, no one's ever going to know. Right. But I, I noticed. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I actually got the right braid and, I, and I, I looked at, I got fabric to lengthen the epaulets. And then I looked at it and I was like, you know what? No one's going to care. No one's ever going to notice. Um, and probably what will happen is I'll pull the jacket apart to fix the epaulets and the braids. And then I won't be able to put it back together perfectly. Or, you know, I'll screw up the, in, I'll screw up the lining or something. So I just said, you know what? I, I promise you no one ever notices. I said to myself, if I get 10 people who come up to me and point out the inaccuracy of my epaulets, my buttons, and my and my braid. <laughs> I will then go down the path of repairing it, mm-hmm. uh, and not a single person has risen to that challenge. <laughs> but now um, that you've said it in this podcast, yeah, <laughs> left in my email address for complaints. Um, so once the jacket fell into place, and um, you know, I got the jacket and I put it on. I was like, man, this, this is an amazing jacket. It's really beautiful. I really, really like it. Um, the rest of the costume um, sort of fell into place. Um, I, I, uh, Captain Jack's um, costume changes a lot during the show. He wears different shirts. He wears different suspenders. He wears different trousers. I mean, he also has a, uh, a vortex manipulator, ah, yes. which, which took some doing to acquire. Um, because, so the, for- the, I'm sorry, the toy version the character options put out, while nice, is too small. Yeah, you know, it's funny. The the one I have, um, I, I have a friend um, who got me some uh, some intel on the, uh, I believe it was the Miracle Day version mm-hmm. of the uh, text manipulator because it changed. When they came over to the U.S., They uh, I don't know if they lost the prop or they just need a new one or whatever. So I had some really good pictures, some good reference of it. And a guy on a forum called the RPF, the Replica Props Forum, yep. did it. 3D model of the uh, of the actual computer face 
in the vortex manipulator. One of the pieces on the vortex manipulator is a found part. It's a piece off a phone. I believe mm. it's a Nokia phone. It's a little disc with some engraving in it. So what they did is they found that phone. He purchased one. And from that was able to scale very accurately the rest of the body. Mm-hmm. Um, some, there's some publicity shots. I think there's a, there's a picture off of a customizable card game, I believe, of the, um, of the Vortex Manipulator. It's sort of a very straight-on shot. Mm-hmm. So that was used to kind of scale to that disc. Um, and then the guy built a 3D model, and you can order prints of it from Shapeways. Uh-huh. You're building a vortex manipulator and you want the face and the buttons and the circle thing, go to shapeways.com and search vortex manipulator. So I ordered a set of those um, and then I found a, a friend of mine does leather work. So I showed him my reference pictures, gave him um, this uh, Shapeways thing and I asked him to just build out the leather parts. And it turns out for, for a leather maker who knows his business, it's actually very, it's a very simple thing. Mm-hmm. So then my Vortex Manipulator was done. Um, and the boots, oh, the boots were the worst part, actually. They look like, uh, aren't they found items? They are. They are, they are Caterpillar Luke model boots. Um, and, and, you know, one of the, um, you really can't win when you're reproducing a costume. <laughs> it's, um, if it's made from off-the-shelf items, that right. sounds like a great thing, right? Because you're yeah. like, off-the-shelf. They probably made 20,000 of them. I can find that for sure. Mm-hmm. Nope. Um, so these Luke boots, um, Caterpillar brand, um, you know, they were made, whatever, six, eight years ago. And I'm sure Caterpillar produced tons of them for the two years that they were in production or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, now they're just really hard to find. You can't find them anywhere. Because, you know, when people wear shoes, what they do is they wear them and then they throw them away. Right. Um, but- unless you're hoarding vintage Nikes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, they're work boots. Right. So buy them through it. So so I spent a lot of time searching for these Luke boots. Mm-hmm. And I you know that there's a pair that would show up on eBay that was like size nine and a half. Mm-hmm. Like, well that's way too small for me. Um so I spent I, I, I spent hours on Amazon.com flipping through their work boots, trying to find something that sort of looked like the Luke boot. Mm-hmm. It's, not, it's really not very unique. It's just there's this will sound contradictory. <laughs> There's just nothing else like it. Okay. <laughs> so, um, but I mean, it's, it is what it is. It's a work boot. It's a black sole or a tan sole work boot. No big deal. Um, but, you know, my, my sort of eye for perfection, once again, led me down a path to darkness. Mm-hmm. Spent just hours and hours flipping through these boots. And eventually, I just got to a point where I was like, you know what? And again, just like with the epaulets and the braids, I was like, no one's ever, ever, ever going to notice. Right that I'm not wearing the right boots, um, which is, again, turned out to be true. I'm a big believer that people do not look at the footwear unless you're massively wrong with them. Like, if I was wearing pink loafers... Yes, exactly. But even then, that might work. People might be like, ha-ha, you're like nighttime Jack. Right. Awesome. Yeah, with that character, yeah, it could fly. Yes. So I found this pair of, um, of Caterpillar boots, which was similar. You know, they were, they were tan work boots with... Uh, with a brown sole and I, I got those and they fit great and awesome. And so then, um, so as I was saying, Jack wears a number of different combinations of shirts, suspenders and, and trousers. 
but fundamentally, um, it's usually a blue shirt. Uh, you know, like a, uh, the, the one I chose was from a couple screen grabs I found. And I, it's also the one used in the, the main publicity shots from early Torchwoods, where, where John Berman's standing in the middle of uh, Cardiff by the bay, mm-hmm. holding his gun up. Mm-hmm. Like, that's kind of what I perceive to be the iconic look, uh, where he's wearing like a navy blue button-down dress shirt with a white undershirt, um, gray suspenders and dark gray trousers and a, and a thick brown belt. <laughs> <laughs> and then, oh, and then there's the holster. He also has a, you know, he has a, a Webley Mark IV, maybe it's Mark III, um, and a holster, a vintage World War II holster. So uh, the good news is, is there's a huge uh, fandom of replica firearms um, which I yep. existed. So finding the right Webley um, was pretty simple because also, oddly enough, um, Indiana Jones carried a different brand of Webley. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's usually sites selling both the Indiana Jones Webley and, um, unbeknownst to them, the Captain Jack Harper. <laughs> Crossover cosplay. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to get, I found a holster online and, you know, that uh, that's sort of a very iconic holster, that World War II Webley holster, sort of very very iconic and widely available. Um, the pants I got at men's warehouse. I just went in and asked, you know, started looking around at double pleated, fancy gray pants. Um, but what was great about the costume was like, even though the shirt, um, isn't the same brand. Um, I got mine at old Navy. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have old Navy in Wales. Um, someone actually found the brand of undershirt that you <laughs> use in the costume. But I was like, you know, four dollars i can get one at target and no one's gonna care yeah if it's not gonna get seen or it's barely seen i I find those are the perfect things to to fudge i mean but don't get me wrong i if you can get your hands on the brand and it's not gonna kill you on on budget or time go for it why not you know i've done it but yeah i totally agree and i I think um i think what i have found historically and i'm kind of diverting from the topic here for a second into a much larger topic um, historically, my approach to costuming has been um, absolute perfection at all costs. Like I just, I just want it to be perfect. That's mm-hmm. what appeals to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I've, what I've really found out over the years, and I've been doing this for a long time, Bob, uh-huh. is that the rewards that come from just spending years and lots and lots of money chasing some elusive, perhaps unachievable ideal, the rewards are just sort of non-existent. Like, mm-hmm. like uh, of the costumes where I believe I have achieved perfection, mm-hmm. I, think the, I think the Dark Knight costume I put together um, met my goals. Mm-hmm. I really like that costume. Um, when I stand next to a guy who got his costume from Costume Castle the night before, mm-hmm. 90% of the people can't tell the difference. Um, you know, people want a picture with him just as badly as they want a picture with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not saying that's the reward. Like, the, the yardstick for success is not, uh, is the Costume Castle guy getting more pictures than you. Um, it's something you have to decide on for yourself. Um, but for me, what I've discovered over the years is that spending endless hours and dollars uh, achieve, to achieve a, a perfection um, 
which will only be recognized by me and frankly not really enjoyed because no one else can recognize it. <laughs> <laughs> or a very select few. Well, yeah, it's, it's just sort of not worth it. So, so with Captain Jack and, and similarly the Ninth Doctor, those were both sort of exercises for me in letting go of absolute perfection but achieving something at the same time that still turned out to be really fantastic. And, mm-hmm. and, and my experience with, um, with fellow Whovians um, is pretty darn, pretty darn rock solid. Like no one has complained about my Captain Jack Harkness costume. In fact, if anything, you know, people say, people tell me I am the Captain Jack Harkness of whatever con I'm at. And I'm really, I'm really excited about that. No one has commented on the inaccuracy of my epaulets or <laughs> placement or my caterpillar boots that aren't the right the right type like no one cares people see uh, a tall dude uh you know hamming it up as in character as i can be as captain jack harkness and they freaking love it and and i love it too so uh, it's it sounds like a win-win and it didn't make me crazy which is good um, this is why I always advocate by all means, put in your time and research and whatever budget will allow money, um, at whatever level you can, you know, shoot for and do it as, as good as, as you feel you can go for. Um, but, uh, you have to eventually just make a choice with the best stuff you have in front of you. And yeah. then, um, and then later, if you love the costume or you're very personally attached to it or whatnot, and you see something better, a better pair of boots or a better fabric or whatnot, then by all means upgrade. You yeah. Know, you know, there's no, yeah. no harm in that, but um, th- which is what I do. That's per- sort of been my philosophy. But let me ask you something. I mean, I know in person, certainly in the Who crowd, um, I find people are very welcoming and they're very cool. And I've never really, you know, l- run into someone in person who will criticize something that's off about a costume I wear. Where you run into this, and you know this, it's the costume Nazis online. Yeah. Have you, have you ever run into that? Have you ever had uh, an issue there? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. So, um, in fact. Go ahead. I was going to say, so you're saying that someone has pointed out your inaccuracies, but it's always been after the fact online with the armchair critics. Is that it? Yeah, and and I'm I'm proud to say it wasn't over Captain Jack Harkness. Okay. Uh, (laughs) If anything, the the thing about the epaulets and the ribbons, or the the braid and the buttons, came up in a discussion about Abby Shot. It wasn't in reference to, hey, look at Matt Munson's costume, frickin' epaulets. Um, yeah, and I, I think that's sort of another interesting dynamic about the hobby, which is which is an entire uh, senior thesis. I'm confident. <laughs> like, like what is on human behavior? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, what is it about online versus in real life that that transforms otherwise wonderful people into just the rudest, most offensive people on the planet? Um, and I don't know the answer. I, I think part of it is to do with the anonymity. Absolutely. Um, I think part of it is um, an example I like to give is like, like when we were rehearsing for um, the Doctor Who stage, is it a stage show, a presentation? What was it? A comedy tour de force? Like what's <laughs> Uh, for, how, how would you label that? Uh, for the for those listening, uh, I referenced this in the uh, post Gallifrey podcast. Uh, Matt was our Captain Jack in our uh, Idiot's Lantern after mask masquerade uh, sketch show, and uh, yeah, it was a good time. But uh, please continue. Yeah. So so what was interesting about that experience, and I think this is very very typical and very indicative of people, is you know it was a, it was a group of people um, 
who all got together in real life. Um, we all knew each other to varying degrees. Um, but we had a great time. Like mm-hmm. we all, you know, we all have Doctor Who fandom in common and we had a great time. You know, we got together, we hung out, we were telling jokes, we were telling stories, having drinks. It was a great time. Put together a group of Doctor Who fans online to mm-hmm. talk about props or costumes. And it will invariably end in utter hatred across the board. Um, and, it, and it's funny because Doctor Who props, going back to that form, the, the RPF, yeah. Doctor Who props have sort of become a, a powder keg. Like if, if you want to start a flame war and get people going at each other's throats, talk about Doctor Who props. Well, I, so you're right in well, – okay. It depends on the costume and prop you're talking about because <laughs> so true. No, it's very true because you know you might get some people who who have their ideas about some things that we're we're speculating about. That's fine, but like I find that really the main areas is the sonic screwdriver, especially yep. any new new series iteration of it is just. I mean, yeah, like that fuse and stand back. Yeah. Um, and uh, less so with the classics, although maybe to a lesser extent it's there. And then um, the Rose and Amy and yeah, sure yeah. all that. Crazy. Crazy. It's insane. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I've sort of been on the uh, – I mean, I don't, I don't cosplay Rose or Amy. But, yes, thank goodness. <laughs> but, I, but I've, sort of, I've sort of witnessed that firsthand unfolding. Um, and, man, that is just a dark, dark world. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I, I, I feel bad because you know it's usually just a bunch of people who want to dress up as Amy or Rose, and right. then craziness. Right, right. So, like, so Bob, I think I think part of the complication with online is that um, no, but this is true of our meetup. Also, I was going to say I was going to say online, there's sort of no barriers to entry. Um, like you can be a total jerk and join the conversation. However, with the with the uh, the, the, the stage show spectacular, um, like if you were in that group, you were sort of already sussed out. Like you would sort of pass the Bob Sniff test. Oh, um, is that it? You brought, okay. some, you brought something to the table that was interesting. Like you were sort of there to contribute. And I think what it, what it really boils down to, Bob, is, it, is at Gallifrey 1, someone could conceivably punch you in the face if you're a jerk. <laughs> yeah, Whereas yeah, online, that's not the case. Very true, very true. Um, it, I, I'm, I'm a firm believer it's it's hiding behind anonymity and uh, the crucial area of tone and yeah. how tone can be misinterpreted online yeah. uh, because of the way it reads right. uh, versus real life where you, you don't have inflection and you don't have body language to back it up. Well, I think, I think another sort of um, uh, handicap in that arena is not everyone is real good at presenting themselves well, <laughs> like like almost almost without fail, when I meet someone who only knows me from online, mm-hmm. and up until over the past year, I've been making videos and stuff, so people sort of know me more from there, or not know me more, but they're sort of they have access to the way I speak in yes. person. Mm-hmm. But people who I meet who only knew me from my online postings, without fail, they say to me, "You you speak exactly like you type." Like the person, the person I thought I knew online is the exact person you are in real life. Mm-hmm. And so I think, I, I, I guess what I'm heading for is maybe there's people out there who like, what they're trying to do is say something that contributes helpfully 
and informatively to a discussion, but instead they just come off sounding like a complete arrogant jerk. I know it all, sure. Mm-hmm. And and there's no malice in there. Um, you know, they're not they're not being mean. They just don't translate their real world persona into the written word in a way that is commensurate mm-hmm. <laughs> with getting along online mm-hmm. and maybe I'm being too generous. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I think, I think there's a lot of places that, that online discussions can go sideways. Whereas in real life, like, you know, if someone's standing in front of you and they're being a complete jerk, um, you can walk away yep. uh, you can punch them in the face. Right. You can tell them that what they just said really hurts your feelings. Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot of things you can do. Um, and, you know, maybe if someone heard that, they'd be like, oh, I didn't even realize that. I'm so sorry. But online, it's like, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's a very different, just a different environment. And, and I, I find it very fascinating, um, but at the same time, a little damaging. Because I think, I think there's a lot of uh, interesting and genuinely good people out there who sort of get wrapped up or embroiled in, in online controversy and disaster. And as a result, they leave the hobby or they're, they're not as interested or they don't contribute. You know, I know plenty of people who just don't post anymore um, because people chew them apart. So what's the point? Why contribute when all you're going to get is garbage? Yeah, that's that's a real shame. I've I've uh, I've never personally done that, but I've had my days where I get frustrated with the forums. Yeah. Um and, I'm uh, taking my football and going home, Bob. Yeah, and not, I, I don't think I've ever been to the point where I'm like, I'm never coming back. But it definitely, I definitely, I tell myself, I need a break for a day or two. I need to walk yeah. away and you know, tell myself, you know, life is not like this. Right. <laughs> you know, right. I mean, what, what is that uh, cartoon? It's uh, a wife is telling a guy to come to bed. She's like, come to bed. And he's like, no, 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 no. Yeah. wait, there's somebody who's wrong on the internet. Someone on the internet who's wrong. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and I know where that comes from. That's just that's just fandom talking. Um, yeah, de- definitely. But let's uh, let's wrap up Doctor Who here. Let's talk oh, yeah. uh, Eccleston Ninth Doctor because you know I I definitely relate on this costume. So I'm very curious. How did you go about putting this together? So the Eccleston costume. When I um I actually discovered Doctor Who a little bit late, or I should say the Doctor Who regeneration. Uh-huh. Huh? Huh? See, got it. See, I got gotcha. you. Um. I, I came into the new Doctor Who about halfway through Eccleston, and um, I was um, um, some of my earliest memories of life are watching Tom Baker Doctor Who As from behind be. the couch um, in Australia. Wow! 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 Yeah, yeah. and I'm wow. actually still trying to track down the episode I watched. I remember very vividly uh-huh. the. The first Doctor Who episode I ever saw. Mm-hmm. I should say I remember a few shots from it very vividly, and I had nightmares for weeks. Wow! Um, in fact, maybe that's a sidebar we can take up later because maybe you can help me identify. Uh, happy to help you. You know, I'm a I'm a Baker file. Well, I'm a. I, I've heard this about you. <laughs> so, um, so when when the revival came out and I, I saw the first Eccleston, I was like, man, this is it. This is this is freaking great. Mm-hmm. Um. I, I just I really loved the show. I thought it was great storytelling. If, if you've listened to my 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 Stephen Prescott blog appearance, I sort of gush heavily about the the Rusty Davies years. I, I did, and we can totally sidebar about that. I thought you had some interesting points, and you had other points where I didn't entirely agree. But it's always fascinating. <laughs> yes, uh, but I did hear well, it. It was a good podcast. Um. Thank you, thank you. Um, but, you know, I, ju- I just love the show. I find it very compelling TV, and I, I saw the Eccleston costume, 
And again, going back to my comment earlier about casting, mm. um, I don't look like like Chris Eccleston, but he's a tall, lanky, white dude with short hair. Mm-hmm. I think I can pull that off. <laughs> right. So I looked at the costume, and I, and, and I sort of, um, I, I think I made the mistake a lot of people make, and I looked at the costume, and I said, that doesn't look like that big of a deal. Yeah. I yeah. I think I can pull that off. Famous I mean, last words, though. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so thank God for the internet. And, and sort of, um, you know, interest had already been brewing for for that costume. So a lot of people had kind of done some work on it. Um, I, I sort of, I took my time. I bided my time with it because I knew the jacket, like the Harkness jacket. The jacket was sort of the iconic key component. Absolutely. To mm-hmm. um, I took a trip out to Cardiff um, to check out the Doctor Who exhibit there um, where they had on display one of the Eccleston suits. Um, took a lot of photos. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time, someone by then someone had identified the boots. Mm-hmm. Um, a timber, not Timberlake, Timberland. I was going to say Timberland yep. boot. Um, the six. I don't inch, remember the exact. I'm sorry, it's the six-inch exactly, premium exactly. boot. Yeah. Exactly. Look at you. Yeah. Well, I know so, this costume, so yeah, yeah, that and they're the the waterproof ones, not the regular ones. Exactly. <laughs> I ordered a pair of those, and the thing shipped with two different sets of laces. I was like, oh no. <laughs> Because it comes with like a leather, a strip of leather lace, uh-huh. and then there's like a braided lace. Uh-huh. I'm like, oh, God. So fortunately, <laughs> um, the pictures I had taken of the costume in Cardiff uh, revealed to me what laces that costume was wearing. Right. doesn't necessarily mean it was the right laces on screen. Right. These are my worries, Bob. No, I know. Is- I, see, here's the thing. <laughs> I laugh, but I laugh in complete camaraderie because... <laughs> It's it's funny where I'm like I understand it, and on the other hand, there's a part of me going, "This is the first time you have a here's a first, Matt. This is the first time I think it's come up where is this the accurate shoelace to this right. costume? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just one of those things where you know it normally wouldn't be something that would concern me, but I've got two pairs of shoelaces now. <laughs> I mean, if, if it's a difference between me wearing the right ones or the wrong ones, I may as well wear the right one. Right, right. So, um. So, again, with the jacket, um, at the time, um, you know, people were, people were finding the submarine commander <laughs> jacket. Craig's marine jacket, yeah. Thrift shops. And I was like, ah, it's not quite right. So, eventually, a company named um, Westhead mm-hmm. were sort of notorious for making um, Indiana Jones jackets. Indeed, yep. They offered a replica of the Doctor Who jacket, and this is another thing where, like, I did a lot of research, and there was a lot of companies making um, replica Ninth Doctor jackets. There certainly are today, and we we can touch on that in a minute. But yeah, yeah, and at, at the time, I think I had narrowed it down to three or four, um, and and I think luckily for Doctor Who fandom, um, the companies that offer them sort of uh, run the gamut of price, quality, and accuracy. Completely. Mm-hmm. Um, which is great, because if you are on a, on a smaller budget, but want something that will be recognizable as a Ninth Doctor jacket, you can have that. Mm-hmm. I think uh, I think there's a company called Bad Wolf, maybe? I don't know. Yep, yep, the Bad Wolf dot, uh, is it dot com or dot co dot UK? I always get that mixed up. But yeah, I, the Bad Wolf. My guess would be dot co dot UK. Uh-huh. Um, so they, they make a nice jacket, but you know, I looked at that, and I'm like, eh, it's just, eh. And so, so I found Wested, who they've been making 
high quality leather garments for years and years. I know mm-hmm. many people who own Westhead Indiana Jones jackets and absolutely swear by them. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. Westhead's also known for their customer service. You know, if you call them and you say, um, I have unusually long mutant arms, mm-hmm. can you please get a jacket that will fit me? Uh, they absolutely will. So I looked at the Westhead jacket, um, and not only are there people offering all these jackets, but there are very educated Doctor Who fans who are blogging, comparing the jackets, mm-hmm. which is really helpful. And if, if you go on forums um, uh, uh, where there are costuming sections, um, and there's some I visit, there's some I don't. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there will be enthusiastic and passionate people who may have made mistakes that you don't want to make. Like maybe they bought the jacket and it turns out its workmanship is really terrible. Yeah. Now there will always be people that say, yeah, but for 80 bucks, who cares? Mm-hmm. And as, as Ewan would say, it's fair play to them. But I really wanted to go high quality. So I saw the West Ed one. Um, and much like the Captain Jack costume, it was not perfect. Um, I think when, when I, there's a couple blogs where there are, shots from the card of it exhibit taken at relatively the same camera angle um, compared to the West Ed jacket. And when you do that, you can see the differences. True. However, I sort of fell back on my belief that, you know, when I'm, when I'm going to be at a convention or an event, hopefully there won't be anyone with printouts of screen captures to hold <laughs> me True. And, and compare against my jacket. I sort of have faith in that. Mm-hmm. So the West, it's great jacket. It, I, I believe it's one of the more expensive ones. I, I would call it more mid-range. Um, but, oh, that's right. There was a more expensive one. That's right. That's right. Um, but, but then, okay, so here's the next sort of level of struggle is, um, I wouldn't call it a controversy, but is the jacket black ah. brown? Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, is it weathered black? Or is it weathered brown? Mm-hmm. Um, and what do I want? Mm-hmm. Like, I can buy a black jacket because it looks black to me. But then when I watch some episodes, it looks real brown. Yeah. And, and are you going off publicity stills where it looks nice exactly. and new and shiny black? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I found a blog by a woman who claims to have worked on the show. Or maybe she worked at an exhibit or something. I don't remember. But she said, I, I absolutely promise you, hands down, the jacket is black. But then I watch a show. (laughs) I watch an episode where Eccleston is outdoors in the daylight. And I'm like, nope, that what I am seeing on the screen is brown. Mm -hmm. So, but then, but then what I got thinking, of was like, well, if I buy a weathered brown jacket, I'm not really going to be able to wear that anywhere except a Dr. Who con. This is my mind, by the way, you can argue, (laughs) you can argue against that claim all you want. Sure. Sure. what happened in my mind is I'm like, well, I want I want something that I could conceivably wear out and about. And do I want sort of a beaten to hell? And maybe I do. Maybe in retrospect, I should have. But I went with the Black West Ed. Okay. It's an absolutely beautiful jacket. I it is. It, now, now, let me ask you, when did you buy yours? Uh, Probably, I think I debuted it at last year's Gallifrey. Okay, so... I think I got it shortly before that. So late 2011, thereabouts? All right. Why, have they radically improved it since then? No, this is a... I might edit this part out, sidebar, but related conversation is... there. This jacket and the costume still comes up on occasion on the forums, and there's always new guys coming up. 
like our friend Rizu, uh, who discussed the merits of the different versions uh, replicas out there. And he and another guy bought the Wested on my recommendation because that's the one I have as well. We can get into that in a minute. And they both complain about it because they feel the weight of it is too heavy. They feel it's way too heavy for what that jacket should be. And they felt that it was too stiff. Um, and they, and they tried to do, they, they, I I know one went black, the other went brown and they both are, seem to be complaining about the same thing. Now, granted in a photo, it looks okay to me, but I, I'll understand that maybe in real life they're not happy with it. So they were saying how bad it is. and, And look, mine I think is great and I don't have a problem with it, but granted that was, that one was purchased probably back in 2008, I want to say. Yeah. So, um, it's possible they've changed the leather. Maybe, but it's a little weird. And so I know some. So now they're arguing against ever going with Wested, oh. but but yeah, I know. But yet I've heard mixed things about the Bad Wolf, no matter how expensive and and uh, well done that one is. And there's a couple others like the Werewolf. I've heard is probably good, but I don't know anyone who owns that one. It looks good in photos, but I can't I can't speak for that one. And there's other lower end ones which okay they're nice, but yeah after that point I personally wouldn't get it. But if yeah right. if you have to save money you can go in. So right. it, it gets in that six of one thing and and is it just they were unlucky that particular month of getting a bad stock of leather? Um, right. You know I, I don't know. So that that's why I'm asking. I, I would say uh, with the jacket I have. Which I absolutely love, by the way. Yes. Um, I would say that those are, I wouldn't call them criticisms. I would say they are bullet points that could also be said about my jacket. Okay. Um, it does appear to sit a little stiffer uh-huh. than the jacket you see in screenshots. Uh-huh. However, it's a brand new leather jacket. Very true. Um, if, if it's true that the Chris Eccleston jacket originally was purchased you know, at a thrift store or a found item or whatever. Which is what I've um, heard. Mm-hmm. Someone had probably been wearing that jacket on and off for 40 years. Yep. Maybe 50. Yep. <laughs> so a brand new jacket is going to sit and hang differently than a jacket that's been in field use for 40 years. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I guess I, I can understand that as a comment, but I'm not sure if it's a de- – for, in my mind, it's not a detractor because I think it's a beautiful jacket. Mm-hmm. Um does it does it precisely match every shot that you see of it in the show? No. Is it recognizable as the iconic Ninth Doctor garment of choice? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I know a couple of people that got very lucky and found a pretty darn good match from a surplus or vintage, you know, World War Two yeah. store. And I've always been on the lookout for one just just to say mine's mine's real vintage. But of course, you're fighting World War Two collectors there, and they tend to go for good money. Uh, right. And finding one in your size, I mean, ooh, it's a, it's right. always a dicey prospect. I but almost um, I almost stole the jacket right off Stephen Prescott's back. Was that yours, by the way? Um, yes, that yeah, that is mine. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, I saw him wearing that. I'm like, it probably doesn't fit me, but I'm stealing it anyway. Yeah, um, yeah, because no. that looks great. Yeah, that like has the the weathering looks right. I mean, the, the it looks like it's been worn for 40, 50 years. It's a great jacket, and it's a Wested. And what I did uh, was I got wait, the, that's a Wested. Yeah, that's what I'm, I'm trying to explain the difference in methodology that we both got the same make or the same replica make. You went black, I got the brown <laughs> pre-distressed. Huh. Overdyed it black and then distressed the crap out of it. I might get another one. Hold and on, write that down. Tell me, Bob. Tell me again. You got the. 
It's the it's the Wested. Uh, they offered in pre-distressed brown leather. Yeah. I got that version. Yeah. And then over-dyed it with Tandy leather dye, black, and then weathered it so the weathering, when it would show up underneath, would show brown. What Was the Tandy leather dye just like the brush-on kind? Yeah. Huh. I never would have guessed that was a Wested. Yeah, and it's it's severely weathered, and then um, uh, and then it was even relined uh, to get the stripiness in the sleeves and stuff, um, which for to me is like that's nice touch, but you know nobody has to go that crazy. And I right. and actually I had gotten the black, tried to distress huh. it, and found that their their dyes for the black are too deep, so you couldn't see a nice two tone in the the wear. So that didn't work. You had to go brown over dye then weather to get that great brown black, depending on the light quality. Wouldn't this be funny if this entire podcast was sponsored by West Ed? Like, yeah. they're giving us both a thousand bucks and a free jacket to, to act all surprised about how awesome their deck is. Yep, yep. But there you go. So that that was the trick, and uh, huh. I've recommended that to a lot of people, and I know that's what some have done and others have tried to do. And but as I've said, some people didn't like the stiffness of the leather or the Wested, so they still, you know, um, either resold yeah. it or put it away. You know, as much as that is a non-trip purchase I, I was so impressed with that jacket that steve of yours that steve was wearing i might actually get another one and follow your recipe yes it's uh yeah don't get me wrong it was it's hours of weathering on that thing especially on that one arm that's really damaged you know yeah that's like, yeah that's extra beaten yeah but it's huh. uh, it came out great no and uh i it's funny i've uh, i've worn that jacket off and on just in regular life most people don't give it a second look but every once in a while yeah there's some guy who's like oh my god doctor who and i'm like all right you know? yeah so yeah no, hey, that, that reminds me of a doctor by the way bob thank you for that information that's actually immensely helpful yeah, just no. when I thought that quest was over. No, no, no. Well, I I have a ninth doctor breakdown, and it's it's pictured and mentioned in there as well. So I'll uh, I'll uh, I'll repost that link as well. And there's a Captain Jack breakdown that um, Katie did. Uh, you know, she's one of those Torchwood uh, kids, and yeah, uh, yeah, she has a really nice breakdown of Jack's costume as well. For I have uh, a I have a Jack breakdown on my blog, which also has links to I think every single piece of the costume. Oh, great! I, send that to me. Yeah, I'll send it that way. Um, but okay, so the the rest of the costume. Oh yeah, so for the rest of the costume, and and after I had the ja- after the jacket kind of fell into place, I was sort of at a point where I was like, you know what, this is kind of um, I think I've sort of hit my high point of commitment to this mm-hmm. because I was uh, bemoaning off the shelf products a minute ago. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like the the jumpas that Eccleston wears and the trousers, I'm sure were off the shelf pieces. They are, yeah. Um, from 2006 or seven or something. Uh, 2004, probably. Uh, so, so I essentially decided those would be impossible to find. They're not actually. Ah. <laughs> Sorry. So I and and like with the Harkness costume, I sort of watched. Uh, I ran down. I went through a few episodes. I went. There's blogs out there that sort of screenshot every costume he wears, mm-hmm. every different colored jumpa. Yep, um, yep, some yep. have a seam down the middle, some oh, don't. That green sweater. Exactly. Oh. From one where they're about to go get chips, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I saw... Uh, oh. So and, and at the time, when I was researching, no one seemed to know where those came from. They, they just figured, you know, it was some... It was like H&M in England or something. Someone went in and bought 50 of them one day. Well, the great thing about those is that, look, there's so many different makes of V-neck sweaters that you can get by. I mean, look, the ones I have are from Target. 
you know. That's exactly where I got mine. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I did. I did some searching, you know, just like with the Harkness boots. But after like a few minutes, I was just like, you know what? I'll just get a V-neck from Target. So I wrote down the colors I needed. I didn't even take printouts or screen grabs or color swatches. <laughs> uh, it's like I need a, I need a whatever, a purple one, a blue. I don't even remember what they were. But I just went and found their their V-necks and grabbed a few, and and they were great. And for the the pants, I think I got some um, some Dickies. Yep, the good old so Dickies. Which is like the worst name for a company agreed, ever. Agreed. Agreed. Um, um, yeah, yeah, no, those are good. I mean, any any dark, um, not nice slacks, but like work workman slacks exactly, exactly. will work. But um, for, FYI, for anyone listening that wants to go the extra mile, uh, the pants are Carhartt. They are Carhartt uh, Simple Pants. Can you spell that for me? Uh, I believe it's C-A-R-H-A-R-T-T. Oh, yeah, you know, it's, I do remember that. Uh, sim- I remember searching on Simple Pants for a while. Um, yeah, that was another one where I made a, an active decision just not to bother because um, I found some places that were selling like a because you know they don't make that particular style anymore, or at least to my knowledge. So the quest was then finding the right color, the right style, the right size, mm-hmm. and I just sort of threw in the towel. Um, I I found they were trickier to, to, to track down. I managed to find a pair. Of, uh, Two three years ago, uh, through a German site uh, that claimed that had them still in stock, um, which was a pain trying to work out the euro conversion. But um, yeah, yeah, and no, before that I had Dickies, and uh, I haven't done the jump on the sweaters because the read is so good. I haven't thought, boy, do I need to get the name brand of the sweater just for me? You know what I mean? Right. But right. Uh, from what I understand, the sweaters um, Eccleston wore were all Armani. And the sweater that Tenant wore in the regeneration, uh, for in case you care, in uh, Christmas Invasion was a John Smedley. So uh, those two brands are screen worn, and the Smedleys, in my opinion, are a little easier and, and not quite as hard on the wallet as the Armani's. Okay. Um, so that's and I have trust me, I have been searching and searching both brands uh, for that green one, that signature green yeah. one, <laughs> and I can't find it. And I'm at the point where. I might look into doing it as a custom run if I got enough people. So, you know, watch this space, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think I, I really enjoy the dialogue with you, Bob, because it kind of, it, it sort of um, brings back to my mind that internal struggle I always have over, as we've talked about, you and I have talked about ad nauseum. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's sort of that battle between accuracy and done. Yes, I know, I know. And, you know, the thing with the Eccleston, too, is that, I'm going to be honest, it's my least favorite of the Doctor's costumes because it's the least distinctive. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that awesome. said, it's it's nice to, to do it, and the jacket is very cool. Um, and uh, But, you know, so much of it, especially as we just said with the sweater and the trousers, uh, they're so basic that you don't have to go the extra mile you can yeah. no no one's really going to call you on that yeah um somebody was asking me about the belt and i never even thought about the belt was he wearing a belt did i miss this that's a great question i don't know because <laughs> the sweater blocks it most of the time so i didn't even think about it um I which is fun I'll pull up my photos they took in Cardiff right now. Nice. Yeah, because someone was like, what type of belt did he have? And I'm like, well, I'll never ID the brand, but I could, you know, but uh, yeah, I, to the point where I just wear whatever belt I've got, you know, I don't even think okay. about it. Exactly. But, uh, the only other significant thing to talk, well, items to talk about with that costume are uh, the the Sonic, which we've kind of touched on with character options and your, your higher level stuff. Yeah. Uh, the Psychic Paper, which, you know, can be easily had in, in the toy version, which I know... Yeah. Uh, 
is um, sadly discontinued, but well available still on eBay. And the watch. Yeah, yeah, the watch is another one. I I, I found the guy who identified the watch. Is it the, um, the Raymond plug. the Raymond Wheel watch? Right? I don't remember. I have to pull up my notes. Okay, I'm pretty sure that's um, what it was. But it's a really expensive watch, as I exactly, recall. Exactly, yeah. exactly, <laughs> exactly. And I was like, nope, not into it. Yeah. Um, and, and that wasn't, you know, that was also a, a lesson learned from an earlier costume I did. Uh-huh. I was a big fan of, oh, I'm looking at my Cardiff pictures now. What a great exhibit. I am <laughs> <laughs> uh, a big fan of the show Smallville uh-huh. and have done a number of the, uh, the Clark Kent um, costumes from that show. Did you, did they ID what he was wearing at the time? Oh, here's my picture of Eccleston's boots. Yeah, mm-hmm. good. Sorry. I'm <laughs> um, yeah, a lot of that stuff was tracked down. Oh, it's the green jumper, too. A lot of that stuff was identified. Um, like the jacket was a, was a found jacket that they dyed and did a little bit of tailoring to. Um, and I now own three of them. I'm very excited about that. Um, <laughs> actually, I have a boot story there also mm-hmm. uh, where I, 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 the boots that he wears were identified. And it's like a three hundred dollar boot, and they're not interesting boots. Like it's mm-hmm. a it's a boot I would only wear with that costume. Mm-hmm. And uh, I believe they're um, one of the the things of note about the boot is that it has a plastic sole. Weird. Uh, yeah, it's like it's it's some sort of anti electricity boot, or I don't even know. But I got this boot, and like it, it they're very slippery. Um, they're not that interesting. Uh, so I ended up returning them, and I just wear my Captain Jack Harkness boots with <laughs> with the Smallville costume when I wear it. Um, so anyway, my, my story about this costume is um, someone had identified in one episode the watch that Clark Kent wears. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in his, uh, He sort of wore the same watch for all eight years when he was wearing um, sort of the red and blue jackets. Mm-hmm. It was a Swiss Army knife watch. Mm-hmm. Um, that's available with two different types of braids, uh, excuse me, bands, a braided and a leather. It was the braided wristband. Mm-hmm. So I found this watch on eBay. It wasn't that expensive. You know, it's, it was like 30, 40 bucks or something, but it was a little doing. So I got the watch and I was like, yay, now I have this watch. And, um, you know, I would, I would wear the watch with my costume and I didn't care and nor did anyone else. Like no one ever, ever cared if I was wearing the right watch. <laughs> only you do and i've learned that as well that, yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> only i do and even then not at all mm-hmm. um, so when it came time to do the eccleston watch uh and and learning that it was not cheap and hard to find mm-hmm. um based on my experiences with the smallville costume um i just like i completely turned my back on it like i didn't even bother for one second once i found out it was it was on the pricey side um but see here here's where uh here's where i fight the good fight um when when it's when it's an original that's impossible to find or way too expensive i find the closest match in my price range yeah and i did spend probably the better part of six months looking for um and learning all about watches i mean it was like diving into the watch world of collecting and which actually helped me because at the same time i was i was iding and trying to get the seventh doctor watch as well and uh same thing you're not going to id that it's so old it probably was brought out of the, the BBC costume place or something. Yeah. But um, with that, um, I got a rotary watch, and it's uh, still silver tank watch, similar Roman numeral uh, numbers, and it was I don't know about 150 bucks. 
Yeah. Um, but it was the best match you could get. And I know other people that found okay matches at uh, Target or, um, yeah. you know, um, JCPenney or whatnot. Yeah. And that's great. But, I mean, I, I hardly recommend the Rotary Watch. Granted, it's a little harder to find now because I bought mine in 07 or 08. Yeah. But um, it's, it's, yeah. I Actually, I like it so much, I wear it as my daily watch. That's cool. Yeah. Same thing Same thing with the Harkness watch, by the way. He wears a watch on the other hand that uh-huh. his Vortex manipulator is not on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, someone had some good screen captures. And, and like you, they kind of did a lot of searching for a, a close enough. Mm-hmm. And they're out there. Um, but again, like, it's at the, I, based on my small villa experiences, yeah. it just seemed like time, in, from, my, from my costuming experience, it was time completely wasted, so I didn't. I didn't pursue it. So, so yeah, that's, that's the Eccleston build. So I, I think I took a little, a little, a few more liberties in my build that you did. Um, and and I think I might actually revisit that West Ed jacket issue because um, as much as I love looking at this picture, I have of the screen used Eccleston jacket. Yeah. Um, not only does it look black, <laughs> but but it is it's weathered. It's crazy weather. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Part of the character of the piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. To finally move away a bit from who and, and talk superheroes, because I love me my superheroes. Yeah. Um, I remember at uh, Comic-Con, was that um, last year or the year before? I want to say it was two years ago, uh, that amazing Daredevil costume you did. Um, yes. But I have to first ask before we get into it, uh, why... The Ben Affleck Daredevil versus, say, a comic book Daredevil. I have to ask. Maybe a version that doesn't suck. (laughs) I'm sorry. I just don't like that movie. But it was a great costume. Yeah, you know, and, um, okay, so here's my thing about the Daredevil Ben Affleck movie. Um, Terrible movie. I didn't, actually, I won't won't say terrible. Um, I I think it was a movie that did not reach its full potential. There you go. Um, You know, at the time... Um, there were a bunch of superhero movies coming out. Like it wasn't like it is today, where where everyone's making superhero movies as fast as they can, mm-hmm. and they're all really good. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was like it was hit or miss time. So they did this Daredevil movie, and um, what I really liked about the movie was the costume, and I'll tell you why. Because I thought it was a it was a great real world realization of an impossible comic book costume. Like if you look at the comic book costume, he's, he's wearing skin tight, red something. Mm -hmm. And the fabric is so tight that it wraps over his eyeballs. Um, (laughs) So like, you know, you, you just can't really, that's a real hard one. That's a tough pill to swallow. That's a tough thing to make real. Well, I will say it's it's better than the black uh, ninja esque version they had in the nineteen eighty nine TV movie. That, that's that's very true. I love that movie, by the way. The Incredible Hulk, the trial, trial of the Incredible Hulk. Yep, yep. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. That was that was just awful. He had like a, <laughs> a glittery cummerbund on that costume. Really weird. Yeah. Really weird choice. Yeah. So I thought it, I thought it was a great costume. I thought a lot of work went into it. I thought the design was was pretty neat, and um. But I never really like. I never really set out to pursue that costume. But mm-hmm. a friend of mine named uh, David Pea um, runs a company out of Canada called UD Replicas. Mm-hmm. Um, his original company is called Universal Designs, 
And so UD Replicas is a spinoff of that. And it, it is the, uh, the portion of his company that handles licensed leather motorcycle wear. Uh-huh. Which is kind of a weird niche. Because mm-hmm. uh, what he does is he makes... I'll pretend like I'm his PR guy for a minute. They don't make costumes. It is not a costume company. Mm -hmm. It is a company that makes motorcycle gear, which is heavily inspired by superhero costumes. Got it. So, so like one of the things they make is a, is a dark night. Mm -hmm. And they even make a Batman begins leather motorcycle outfit. There's no denying that it's a costume. (laughs) However, they don't own licenses to sell costumes. Okay. They have a license to sell leather motorcycles. (laughs) So so what's interesting is, like, if you look at, like, the first X-Men movie, the Bryan Singer X-Men movie, where they're basically wearing motorcycle leathers. Yeah. um, And and I would argue that that was not a good choice for the X-Men. Okay. Well, their costumes aren't black. But whatever, I digress. But I think that sort of started the ball rolling on these leather superhero outfits. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so UD Replicas got the license to do Marvel products. So they did like an Iron Man leather motorcycle kind Interesting, <laughs> all right. But that didn't really strike me as a home run because, well, Iron Man's armor is not leather. Um, however, UD offered this Daredevil suit... And if you watch the movie, he's basically wearing a leather motorcycle suit. Right. So I think in my mind, and I, and I'm, and I don't mean this disrespectfully at all, um, this was UD Replica's best product because the, the thing that they were trying to riff on already was what their products are. Got it. Like, for example, they also do a Stormtrooper outfit which is actually really amazing like it's amazing what they do with leather mm-hmm. but at the end of the day stormtrooper armor is not leather right. it's it's abs plastic yep or what i'm not a stormtrooper guy so what the hell do i know? <laughs> okay um but um but it struck me that this is the perfect marriage of their product core competency and the costume that was in the movie right so i sort of like the movie i love the costume for reasons stated and then my friends offering one as a product, and I'm a tall white guy, <laughs> so, so it, it was like the perfect collision of, of things. Um, and you know, it's it's a really neat costume. It's really fun to wear. It's it's a bit of a showstopper because um, it's just. It, I think it's got a good wow factor. And also, people are kind of like, "Why are you dressed as Ben Affleck, Daredevil? That movie sucked." <laughs> it's it's kind of cool but it's it's a really it's really neat costume it's very comfortable um it's sort of a a good drinking costume uh which is also one of my uh design ethics in some of my costumes (laughs) Um, you know like if you go to a con yeah and um we're grown-ups there might be drinking involved Mm -hmm. and um our, our good friend uh malachi um, makes costumes, which I would argue are not good for drinking. Um, like he does the most amazing costumes, but I, I gosh, if I own those things, I would never wear them anywhere because they're so amazing. Um, what, okay, what do you mean by that? Well, like the Cyberman costume, right? Well, I guess that's actually kind of flexible, so maybe that's a bad example. <laughs> <laughs> or like the Adiposian. Yeah. Um, one go drinking as an Adiposian. 
Um, no, true. Uh, they're they're amazing foam builds, but yeah, you don't want to be standing around uh, yeah. at a bar in them. No, and to be honest, a lot of the doctor costumes I have, I wouldn't want to drink in because I'd be afraid of spilling something on them. Right. Uh, right. And so, um, so, so sometimes, like, I'll do a costume where its its main purpose is a drinking costume. Like, it's something that's that's it's easy to wear, it's comfortable, and if I spill something on it, uh, I'm I'm okay with that. Like, I have a uh, a, from Battlestar Galactica, the uh, the the green, what are they called, duty greens or something? I don't know. Another friend of mine has a company called Anovos. Oh right, yeah, mm-hmm. which makes uh, high end uh, replicas of uh, things like Star Trek costumes, Battlestar Galactica. In fact, if you go to their website, you can see me modeling their um, one of their Battlestar Galactica, the duty blue costume. Nice. So I have like the green costume, which is a very comfortable sort of, you know, if you spill a drink on yourself, it, it, it makes the costume look better. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that is also one of my uh, one of my design goals in some costume. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> if, if you look at something like um, the Dark Knight, which I've, uh, is one of my favorite costumes, um, it is actually it, it is literally painful to wear. I actually bleed when I wear that costume. Mm. The the mesh that the costume that the armor piece is mounted on um it does not seem very well um like you know when you join it at a seam um little pieces of it stick into your skin and make you bleed Um, there might might be a way to like round that over or flatten it out or melt it or something but i haven't discovered it Mm -hmm. um so you know it's like it's it's hard to move in that costume um it's very hot it's very restricting and and it's painful it's physically painful so something like that, like if I'm gonna, if I want to go out and have a fun drinking time with my friends, um, as great a presentation that costume is, it's not for drinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that that makes again makes total sense. You want comfort <laughs> in that in that category, not um, something that looks awesome, right? Uh, even though it'd be really funny to see a Cyberman drinking, I always say. I think that would be yeah, and actually. <laughs> That might actually be a terrible example because that Cyberman costume is very flexible. Um, mm-hmm. It's very, uh, it's made of like a, I think it's a EVA foam. And, and watching Malachi build that, seeing his posts, his progress pictures, an amazing piece of engineering and, and thought. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the and the uh, the K one he built in like four and a half days was yeah, equally impressive. That guy, man. That guy, <laughs> that's great. And I think I think one of the. Um, one of the other things, like, I, I, I want to believe I'm a builder, um, but honestly, when I look back at my time in, in the hobby, I, I think so much of my time um, is spent on research mm-hmm. and documentation, um, and, and, and I find that very interesting and compelling. Like, I, I find the, the thrill of discovering a found item uh, really amazing or, or finding a fabric that matches what was used in a certain piece. Um, very fulfilling. Yeah. And it, it doesn't always get you the final product. And I think my, my Superman Returns costume is sort of a shiny example of, of you know, it's 90% research, 10% done. Because, uh, <laughs> I, I, you know, I've spent years pursuing that. And a lot of people wonder why. Because, you know, kind of like the Daredevil movie, the, the movie wasn't all that good. No. And, and many people still really detest the costume. Yeah. Um, 
But, I'm, what, but I'm curious. I, I'm very curious. What I really find compelling about that costume is, is um, much like my comment about Malachi's work, is it's, it's an amazing piece of, um, of engineering. Um, so much went into every single inch of that costume. And I, and I, I, I sort of see that as a challenge, like mm-hmm. duplicating um, like each, each section of the costume, uh, like the, you know, the bodysuit and the trunks has a diamond pattern uh, silk screened on it, but it's like a raised ink. It's like a slightly reflective raised ink. Mm-hmm. Um, and just the, you know, the seams on it are very interesting. And like, I had to learn how to work a serger to do it. I had to learn pattern making. Uh, there's just so many things that like, for me, like, like part of the, well, apparently in that costume, all of the thrill <laughs> is sort of up to it, sort of learning new skills, you know, learning how to um, pigment urethane properly so that it's it's not transparent so that it's a rock hard translucent or no sorry that's opacity mm-hmm. um and um you know like finding people who were who had uh screen used pieces that were willing to let me borrow them to mold them or something mm-hmm. like that. uh you know i traveled to new york so i could visit the uh, madame tussauds who had a costume on a wax mannequin but by the time i got there the costume had been so destroyed by the, the visitors that they replaced key parts of it with just, you know, poorly made components. Oh, mm. So like, so there's all these sort of experiences that, that were generated from the pursuit of that costume, that the costume itself is almost not what has turned out to be the reward. Mm-hmm. Um, what's turned out to be interesting is the people I've met um, the experiences I've had, the skills I've learned, mm-hmm. um, the materials that I'm now familiar with, and and I think that's sort of um one of the uh, one of the things I, I sometimes get asked is like what what's what's your advice for someone who's you know looking to get into this? That's and, um, that's a question I was going to ask. So go ahead and answer. And I think I think one of the things is is to to really understand and identify what it is you're looking to get out of the hobby. Um, and for me, and I hate to turn this into a, a, a Hallmark uh, movie of the week, um, but for me, I think the greatest thing that has come from the costuming, uh, the prop building, the Batmobile building, whatever, um, isn't owning a costume or owning you know, having a possession that I can put in a display case. But it's the people I meet along the way and the friendships I forge in the quest for the costume, the prop, the car, whatever. Um, You know, at the end of the day, your house could burn down tomorrow and you could lose everything um, that you covet. Um, And so maybe that those aren't the things I focus on. What I focus on the rewards that I get are through the people I meet and the relationships I have mm. as, as a result of the costumes thing. So new to costuming, figure out what's important to you. Um, if, if what you really want is to become famous, um, stop right now uh, and do something else. <laughs> um, and, and I hate to say it, but you know, I know a lot of people who's like, you know, they're, they're sort of, the reason they get into costuming is because they, you know, they sort of want to, they think it's sort of a, a, a stepping stone towards internet fame or uh, riches or something. I don't know. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. You can get into a hobby for whatever reason you want. Well, 
Do you do you mean like wannabe actors who think it's a way to get exposure? Because I've I've had met a couple of those, rarer, but a couple. I say that that's part of it, but I mm-hmm. think people want to be cosplay famous. Um, I don't even I don't even know what it means, dude. <sighs> but like, but like I think if your goal is to build a cool costume, that's a great reason to start. Costume. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, but for for actual, that's more strategic. I'll be tactical with you, Bob. I think for new people. Um, and not just because I'm weird about it. I think research is an important thing. I think uh, casting is an important thing. Um, in my mind, I would say if you are a certain type, pick something that suits your type. Um, and by the way, I don't mean at all to dissuade people from doing it other ways. Um, there's, there's always internet controversy. Um, uh, a friend of mine, uh, Yaya Han, is a pretty famous uh, costumer. And she sometimes, she's an Asian lady, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, or she appears Asian, I should say. <laughs> I believe she's actually part German. But she sometimes gets crap from people because she will choose to costume as a character who isn't Asian. Mm-hmm. Or vice versa. You know, a, a Caucasian person will costume as an Asian person and then get crap for it. Mm-hmm. Which I think is absolutely ridiculous, by the way. Um, Maybe a broader statement should be: Don't let anyone tell you how to cosplay. <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. Um, I, I could. I, I think at the end of the day, it's fly your colors, and uh, you know, if it's a character you love, do it. I mean, keep all these points in mind for sure in terms of uh, taking it to the next level if that's what you want to do. But if you just want to wear a costume that people unmistakably know is a whatever a Superman costume or a uh, a Daredevil costume or whatnot, then do it. You know. Hey man, quit picking on my Daredevil costume. Come on. <laughs> um, I would say also, uh, and not to over-philosophize, but maybe also a, a simple rule for life as in costume. And I honestly believe uh, the key to success in anything are two things. Be happy and helpful to your fellow costumers. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally believe that there is very little, if anything, to gain from hoarding knowledge or hoarding experience. Um, sure, you may be the one guy who knows how to do thing X, Y, or Z, or you may be the one guy who owns item A, B, or C, um, and you can celebrate your victory all by yourself in your living room every night. Um, but I, I don't think that's going to be the path to happiness or success in the hobby. Um, being happy and helpful uh, typically is. So just as, as you are starting out, you will want people to give you good advice and to show you where to get the right Eccleston jacket for your budget. When the time comes for you to help them or to help the next breed of people who are getting into the hobby, um, I would say, please give back to the community. Um, you know, if someone has a question and you happen to know an answer, um, don't make them come to you and beg for it. Uh, offer it up freely. Uh, start a blog. Write about your experiences. Share your good times and your finds and your conquests and your triumphs. And, and let other people be inspired by those. Very good advice. Um, I, I know Scott uh, is a firm believer in uh, sharing the craft, and it's the only way to generally improve the craft, um, which is, I think, part of another reason why um, the Internet, with its vast communication, has uh, increased the quality, generally, of uh, the hobby in the last 10, 12 years. But um, to play devil's advocate, because I do yes. agree with you. Yes. <laughs> um, 
What what do you think to the people who um cuz clearly there are two main things that fuel I think hoarding of information and unhelpful information. One is um simple uh ego. I yeah. got the best thing and you won't. Yeah. Um the other side is usually related to merchandise, someone who is obviously making a living doing what they're doing and yeah. they're trying to protect their sort. So there's a certain logic to it that I do respect, but sure. You know, there does come a point where, you know, uh, what is it someone said? You can give away a recipe. It doesn't mean you're going to have the same skills as a cook. Right. Um, and oh, Well, and then there's the other thing, too, of the people who own original pieces, that they're always afraid that if they uh, give away information on it, that a replica will be so good, it will be sold as original and dilute the market and, and devalue yeah. their piece. And I yeah. understand the fear there, um, even though I think it's rare, but I've heard of it happening. Yeah, and I, I think I think you you've hit on a few great examples of sort of like a I would call them boundary cases mm-hmm. to to my claim earlier. And you know, like for example, your 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 one about uh, screen used pieces. Um, I am in that camp. Like I have some pieces, and people have called me and asked me for photos, and I've said no for the exact reason you state. Mm-hmm. So I guess let me sophisticate my earlier. <laughs> okay, all right. And, and I think, I think like with all things, um, things get weird when money becomes involved. Yeah, as always. Um, and I guess when it comes to things like, like costuming, um, I would like to believe there is a, a wide open field of information that should be shared. Like, for example, um, I'll pick on myself, uh, my Jack Harkness build. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm happy to, to see anyone else take my recipe and build their own Jack Harkness costume. However, um, I would not be happy to see someone replicate some of my screen-used props, sell them as real, and then, like you said, devalue mine. Like, mm-hmm. what if something that I bought for $10,000 is now worth $2,000 because there's replicas on eBay that anyone can buy? So I, I certainly understand that. Um, and so I guess I would, I would state there's, there's a certain classification of knowledge and information that falls into that category of, of you know just don't 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 hoard it like I, I, there's something that i don't understand like if you're if you've got a business and it's based on you selling a product that no one else has figured out how to make mm-hmm. like microsoft they don't give out their source code right right you can buy the for sale version of their product and there's a reason for that um, I totally get that, but you know, I, I guess there's just sort of some invisible line that people arbitrarily set in their minds that say, um, "This I will hoard, and this I won't." Mm-hmm. Um, and I understand that, and, and there's some parts of that I respect. And I guess my my response to that is, um, "Don't hoard everything." <laughs> right, right, and it's. I think the other flip side to it too is if it's. Um you know, if you're a business and you're you're trying to keep your contacts, I, I get that. But on the other hand, as we've just been discussing, we live in the age of the internet. These places are findable. If you put right. in the effort, you can find these places. Right. And you know, maybe you don't get. Maybe it takes a little bit longer, but you right. know, you can arrive at the same conclusion. And I know yeah. a lot of people where that's happened. So. I think um, the other kind of tr- truth that I've recognized after being in this hobby for way too many years. Is that, um, like you were saying, you know, you can publish the recipe, a chef. And I think with, um, with stuff like this, it's even more profound. Like making 
an accurate leather jacket is really hard work. It's mm -hmm. really, really hard work. Um, and I would argue that even if Wested, if they published online their patterns, um, where they get the leather, the dye they use, the source for their buttons, um, you, you wouldn't see a bunch of fans suddenly hand-making their perfect nine jacket what you might see is some company in india yeah start offering them mm -hmm. um for dirt cheap which you know that's sort of the other side of the coin very true very true um so let's uh let's jump back a little bit to the dark knight um yes because you say it sounds like that's the costume you're the most proud of now uh what went into that how did you arrive at perfection for so that costume. Dark Knight's a great suit, um, and I mean the, the suit that's in the second and third Christopher Nolan movies, mm -hmm. the one that's sort of all the articulated armor bits. Um, and what, what I found interesting about that costume was, it, uh, much like the Superman Returns costume, just so much went into it. It's very detailed. There's a lot of work. Uh, I find that interesting and compelling as mm -hmm. a costumer. Um, and at the time, um, unlike Superman Returns, um, there were a bunch of people that loved the Dark Knight costume <laughs> and, um, and were pursuing um, reproducing it in different ways. So like a friend of mine, um, he somehow got a hold of a, of a pattern that was used on the cape. Like a lot of people originally thought the cape was, you know, just a half circle or a circle with a hole cut in the middle and then whatever. But no, the, the cape, the walking cape for the Dark Knight suit is, is a wildly complicated piece of engineering. He got a hold of a pattern and a swatch or something. Um, so he had to reproduce the fabric, which is, which is like a flocked parachute material. Um, so he reproduced the fabric, and then he sewed up all these capes, and he did a run of like 20 or something. So I got one of those. Um, and I, I was sort of wondering what to do about the armor. And it turns out that, that somehow uh, a guy in Australia, I think, um, got a hold of one of the stunt suits used in the movie. Mm -hmm. um, and so like any good hobbyist, he immediately uh, cast the whole thing <laughs> and, and started offering copies of it. Like part of it, um, part of it was uh, designed in, in a CAD program and then uh, CNC'd and then they made mold of those, like the, the leg parts and the cod, like not the shoulders, the chest and the abs, sort of the, the flat pieces. So they spent a lot of time and money engineering all this, and then you could buy, like, uh, kits uh, with all the different parts. And, and like with the Westhead jackets, um, or excuse me, like with the Ninth Doctor jackets, there were all different sort of levels. Like, you could get, like, the, the super deluxe premium urethane with uh, translucent parts and um, carbon fiber, or you could get, like, a latex layup and, you know, a bunch of different tiers of complexity. Mm -hmm. Um. And then someone sourced what they believed to be the right fabric for the bodysuit. That was the one I was telling you about that causes me pain. Right. Um, so I kind of collected all these parts, and, and then I sort of had to pattern out a bodysuit for myself. And uh, that was, again, sort of a, a really neat experience and learning a new skill set, learning how to sew this mesh material, um, learning its limitations. It stretches one way, not so much another way. Um, so I built this, and this is all on my blog, by the way. Every, almost every single excruciating step of this build is all on my blog, which is mattmunson.blogspot.com, by the way. Thank you very much. Sure, sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, 
so I built this bodysuit. Then I had to like learn how to attach the armor, and it's just there's just so many neat little uh, steps in making this costume. Um, I had to source out a pair of boots, find a pair of gloves. Uh, I went through a couple different iterations of the belt, and ended up settling on a urethane casting mm-hmm. of, of a belt because uh, it was more flexible and like if I ran into something, it wouldn't break. So all kinds of weird little, you know, struggles and internal debates went into making the costume. Um, and at the end of the day, I just, it, it was, just, it's a very visually stunning piece. I mean, not only because people like the costume and recognize it, but it's, it's almost like a, like an Iron Man armor. Like when you see it off the screen, it, it's just sort of startling. Like, you, you know, you're just like, wait, uh, I don't understand how this is possible. <laughs> like, <laughs> You see a guy in an Eccleston jacket, and you're like, oh, a nice leather jacket, jerk. <laughs> but, like, you see a guy in a Dark Knight suit that's done properly, and it's like, whoa, that guy looks just like, whoa, that's nuts. How, how is that even possible? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that suit has that sort of wow value to it. Uh, and I really like it. It's a great-looking suit. Um, it doesn't you, I'm happen. sorry, would you say that this suit gets you the best reaction out of all your costumes? I think so. I get, I, you know, I, gosh, you know, I, another thing I've learned about costuming is, um, uh, you really need to know your audience. Yes. Um, I think, um, I had a story where I was at a, I was at comic con in my ninth doctor outfit walking around by myself. Nobody cared at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, didn't get a single picture request or anything. Um, however, when I'm hanging out with other people dressed as doctor who, like if I'm with a, a 10 and 11, people go, oh my God, it's 9, 10, 11. Holy crap. Let me get a picture with all three of you guys. You look amazing. Um, that's part of it. And like <laughs> if you're a Gallifrey dressed as the night doctor, people know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I think, I think you really need to be aware of what you're wearing and where mm-hmm. um, if what you're looking for is a positive reaction, which I suppose is half the fun. Yeah, that, that gets back to, are you doing it for you or are you doing it for the reaction? And look, I mean, there's a lot of people I know who, who say they could care less. And I go, well, I know you don't need to be stopped every 10 feet because let's face it, sometimes that can get a little on your nerves if you just want to go get something to eat. Right. But um, you do want to know that some people recognize and Definitely. appreciate the effort. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least I do. And I, I, there, there may very well be people who are quite thrilled to build the perfect costume, put it on a mannequin, set it in their back office, and never show it to anyone. That, you know, the reward is the thing. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, you know, a huge part of it is the, uh, the accolades of my peers and, uh, you know, people I might run into. Like, I, I, I really get a thrill. I would think my biggest thrill is when people whose work I deeply respect and enjoy um, tell me that they are impressed by something I did. Um, and which I think is, is very prevalent in the Doctor Who fandom that I'm aware of because so many people, um, especially in the crowd that, that you and I run with, like there's a bunch of really talented and dedicated people in that gang. For sure. Mm-hmm. So to have, have some of them or have any of them recognize um, work, labor, and results as good, I mean, that, I, I find that very fulfilling. That's cool. Um, and then you get all the girls. 
<laughs> That's almost a contradiction when you're talking about Doctor Who in some ways. But uh, I mean, not now. But I'm still stuck in old school mode where you didn't meet. Oh, no, Bob, it's all changed. It's all changed, bro. <laughs> it's all changed. Here, here <laughs> for any, for any. Um, gosh, I want to say some things about being too controversial. Um, but, but I will, I will say with confidence that um, as of late. Um, excelling in costuming um, is a great way to get connected with attractive people of the opposite sex or of the sex you're interested in. I should say. Um, I could. I could um, yeah, say it's, that. it's yeah. Uh, well, it's it's cost- an immediate. It must be an immediate end to talk to the pretty girls in the pretty costumes that most guys are either too shy to approach or those girls wouldn't talk to you much if you're just the regular fan in a t-shirt. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you can even generalize it. It doesn't necessarily have to be trying to pick up on a girl. Right. Um, you know, it, just meeting people. Like oh, it's, oh, yeah. It's, when, you are, when you are with a group, like, gosh, I remember first, first Gallifrey one I went to was last year. And I tell you, man, that's a, that's a great little con. Mm-hmm. I, and, I, and I don't mean disrespect when I say little. I'm comparing it to, like, Dragon Con or San Diego Comic Con. Right. Um, it is a very friendly con. Um, all the people there that I ran into, you know, people would just come up to you and say, hey, it's a great costume. And then I'd end up talking to them for 20 minutes. We're now friends on Facebook and we hang out occasionally. So, you know, like a very, a very welcoming fandom. Um, and, and a great thing about, you know, something like Gallifrey where we're sort of all on the same page mm-hmm. is, um, you know, we instantly have a bunch of stuff in common to talk about. I think like if you were, if you were, uh, if you've ever heard of online dating, oh, of course, have, yeah, um, they still have that. I think <laughs> they still have. That. You know, you sort of you sort of have a profile where you list a few things that you're like, I like hiking and puppies. <laughs> so then, if you're a girl and you like hiking and puppies, you can be like, Hey there, dude, let's talk about puppies and hiking. So just like at Gallifrey One, you're sort of advertising your fandom mm-hmm. not only by being there, but odds are you're wearing something. Mm-hmm. That gives away what you're into. Right. So, you know, people can come up to you. And again, I don't mean specific to dating. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, like like uh, our good friend uh, Ewan Anderson, I met him at a prop party um, where, you know, he was there showing off his Doctor Who props. And I was like, hey, cool, Doctor Who props, neat. Mm-hmm. Now we're friends. So, you know, you sort of have a built-in excuse to, uh, to get to know these people. And I think that's... Um, that's one of the huge differences between the online experience and the in-person experience. And I guess another piece of advice I would give to um, beginning costumers is, by all means, get ye to a convention. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, get get involved in your fandom beyond posting about it online because mm-hmm. it's. I, I find the experience in person to be much richer and interesting. Completely. Um, I've said this uh, before that uh, my the way I attend conventions has changed since I was uh, you know whatever a kid or a teenager and I was going mostly to comic book conventions where initially it was always about buying stuff you know yeah. where's yeah. the cool comics where's the cool toys yeah. and then it became about you know when I hit college and a little after and I wanted to save money it was all about panels what cool panels can I see yeah but it's a very passive way to see it don't get me wrong there's always neat panels to check out it's just yeah. you know I find it it's it's you know you sit around and you just listen to panels and then since I really got heavy into cosplay which started about 10 years ago um it's become much more of a social thing yeah. um 
And it's I found it's been my favorite way to attend a con is I, I'm barely in panels anymore. I make a token stop in the dealer's room, but for the most part, I'm just... Yep. Yeah, meeting people and hanging out with friends and enjoying yeah. showing off the wares. I mean, it's it's been a great way to do it. I, I'm the exact same way. I, I went through almost the exact same progression. And I tell you, man, it's it's a great hobby. Um, even if you're a bad costumer, it's still a great hobby. <laughs> it's just, it's just, it's just I've, I've never experienced anything like it. Like, you know, hanging out with people who are so interested in the same things. And, you know, you meet people that you'd never otherwise run into. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's just, it's just a great hobby. Uh, and I love conventions. They're so fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's great. Like, I don't really, I'm the same as you. Like I'll sort of roam through the dealer's room. Like I don't, I don't, you know, the, the tchotchkes and the stuff that's available and they just uh, aren't of interest to me. I just sort of go in to see who's there, see who's wearing what. Mm-hmm. Get my picture taken. Yeah. 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 Uh, half the reason I go in the dealer's room is there are guys at the tables I know that rarely get a chance to leave the tables. And I not, not only want to say hi, but they want to see what the heck I'm wearing. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's great. I, gosh, I'm just thinking back to Gallifrey One. You know, it's it's so funny. There's a there's a thing called uh, post-con blues. Oh, yes. That uh, for, for you newbies, <laughs> it's um it it's 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 an absolutely real thing where you know you you live in this in this world for for three or four days or in like the case of dragon con maybe five days where you know it's just awesome friends great times uh often uh heavily soaked in alcohol and you know you, you meet all these amazing people you have these great times it's just fun 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 and then you sort of go home sunday night and wake up monday and you're like oh no that's right Real life is not like that, mm-hmm. and um, and you get genuinely distressed. Like it's a <laughs> bummer. Mm-hmm. You know, we, uh, a couple people I was hanging out with, um, the the Tardis girls yes. at Gallifrey yes. have, have scheduled like a mid Gallifrey get together. They want to actually get a room at the uh, the the hotel. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in August, whatever the midpoint between the next Gallifrey is, mm-hmm. and just sort of you know have their own little convention with just them and their friends um, to sort of carry them over until the next event, which I think is a great idea. Like because it's 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 sort of really hard to capture that experience again. <laughs> That's where we lose the signal for this week's episode. So come on back next time for the second half of my chat with Mr. Matt Munson as we continue to discuss and add dissertation on etiquette and conventions and general cosplay goodness. In the meantime, if you have any ideas or suggestions, please write to me at www.costumestationzero.com and I'll be happy to answer. In the meantime, this is Bob Mitch signing off for Costume Station Zero.